1919, the document that um, ended World War I. One very important document was signed November 29, 1947, as part of the partition plan that reestablished the Jewish state of Israel. <clears throat> there have been others, um, one document creating the European Union, which um, incidentally I was curious in the French election to see what was going to happen there. They said if Le Pen got elected, that it'd probably be the undoing of the European Union. I guess the little bit I've seen that is Macron got elected. Um, either way, I knew God was um, would work his purposes, but um, it's pretty amazing that... Um, to watch what's happening in France and to see what will be happening there. Um, this is just extra, but you'll find a, a perfect example of when you do not have borders, what happens. And it's happening in all of that, and yet God is using all of that to to bring in a lot of the events that um, that we read about in the Bible. But there is coming a document <clears throat> that will be signed that will make all other documents in history pale in comparison. And this is a document that Antichrist will sign with Israel. Notice <clears throat> in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27, we've looked at um, the last part of Daniel chapter 9 before in dealing with the 70 weeks and, and Antichrist. <clears throat> but notice verse 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even unto the consummation which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. You notice what he says. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. The one week is the seven-year period of tribulation. We don't have time to go into that. We've already talked about that. But he makes a covenant with them. For one week, and then it says here, in the middle of the week, he will break that covenant. Turn to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28. <coughs> and notice if you'd look in verse 14. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men, who rule this people who are in Jerusalem. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol, we are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hidden ourselves 
Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Also, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plummet. The hall shall sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters will overflow the hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overflowing scourge passes through, then you will be trampled down by it. Now, we'll try to make some sense of these two things, two passages talking about the same thing that is taking place. The leaders of Israel, it mentions here, they're scornful men at the time of the covenant. They will make a covenant, it mentions here, with death and hell. And the reason they make this covenant is they see a scourge of death coming upon the earth, and they want to be spared from it. And God counsels them, do not do this hastily. But as the prophecies convey, they do this. It then mentioned in Isaiah, the passage we just read, that it will be annulled and the scourge that they, the scourge of death that they were seeking to avoid will end up coming upon them. And of course, this is a covenant that is made um, between Antichrist. Um, Israel has seen the scourge that is coming upon the earth. This takes place after we as believers are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And there is a vile hatred for anything of God. And in Revelation, we read it says that um, he saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And the Jews saw what was going on, and they didn't want to be a part of this. They didn't want to be a part of this scourge of death. And they had um, certain desires. They want to build the temple. And so they see this as an opportunity, a peace treaty, so to speak, that they were willing to make to ensure that they would have peace. And in doing so, they signed this covenant with Antichrist. He guarantees to them peace. Um, And this is at a time that the peace is death and hell, motivated by the demonic forces of the Antichrist, are coming against anything that doesn't go along with his program. They really don't want to go along with his program, but they want peace, so they make this covenant. Now, this is after we've looked at um, the battle of Psalm 83 and Psalm 38, where on the northern hills of Israel, God will miraculously wipe out um, the enemies of Israel. 
Right now, the enemies of Israel are the Arab nations. The day is going to come when um, they will be dealt with in an epic war that ends this oppression once and for all. Right now, if you visit Jerusalem, you go to the Temple Mount, and this is where the battleground is. You've heard of the Wailing Wall. This is where the children of Israel come and, and they wail and cry out for deliverance. And they write prayers and stick them in the stones, the crevices that are there. Um, they don't have a temple. On the Temple Mount, where they believe the temple is to be, it is controlled by the Arabs. It is controlled by the Muslims. And um, this is a major conflict. Well, <clears throat> there is coming a day when the Arab-Israeli conflict will cease, when peace will be guaranteed for Israel, and the Jews will build their temple on the Temple Mount. It's pretty amazing. They already have the stones cut for the temple. They already have the plans. They already have everything. If What they're just waiting for is access to the Temple Mount to build that. From tonight until this happens, these things have to take place. The Arab-Israel conflict has to cease so that they have access to the Temple Mount. The, the war of Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38, most people believe will take care of that. Then they have to have peace with the others surrounding, and Antichrist will make a covenant which will take care of that. So they have peace, they um, build their temple, all this takes place in the early part of the seven-year period of tribulation. They reinstitute the offering of sacrifices and various offerings that will be made in the temple. This is so important to them because they believe we must rebuild the temple, we must offer the sacrifices, and then the Messiah will come. Because they have rejected Jesus Christ, they are scornful men, they make a covenant with hell, with the Antichrist, and they do all this because they believe it furthers their cause. What we just saw earlier, reason makes you to do many things that really have no basis. It's, it's um, practical. It's pragmatic. This will work for us. This will give us the opportunity to rebuild the temple 
the opportunity to um, make sacrifices, and that will then give us the opportunity to usher in the Messiah. As we read, in the middle of the tribulation, in the exact middle of that period, Antichrist will go into the temple, he will desecrate the temple by offering vile sacrifices on the altar, and in so doing, he breaks the covenant with Israel, and this is what Isaiah the prophet warned Israel, that you will make a covenant it will be broken, and then the judgments will come upon you. Their scornful behavior in taking matters into their own hands, rejecting God's plan in order to build their third temple, will then unfortunately lead to their demise humanly speaking, only to be (coughs) rescued and repent. God brings a heart of repentance to them and um, delivers them. But Antichrist sees this as a very important part in his plan. He will... From his perspective, destroy Israel. He hates Israel. This was all deception. He was not for them. He despises Israel because Israel is whom God chose. Israel is whom the lion of the tribe of David came through. And he despises Israel. So he believes that this will destroy Israel. He takes control of the one world religion so that it all comes back to worship to himself. In the end, um, Israel unwittingly trusted the Antichrist to meet their mutually exclusive ends, which were the advancement, Antichrist, advancement of his religion, the Jewish people, the advancement of their religion, and they thought, okay, we'll covenant together. This has happened all throughout history. Various parties covenant together, both thinking they'll, can, they'll, they'll both benefit from this. However, Antichrist has an entirely different agenda, as we read in the book of Revelation, and we'll get, go in and look at that later. But upon annulling the false covenant, his plan is to control entirely the world, and he begins to implement those plans. So Antichrist will break the covenant, and then it will lead to the end that God's designed. So you say, okay, 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 that's all a lot of information, but what's the application? Number one, Israel matters. I heard, I heard the other day on the radio um, 
someone said they were invited to go to a Christian college and speak, and they said, you're welcome to speak, but we do not want you to say anything about Israel. It doesn't matter if Israel is in unbelief. It doesn't matter if they are scornful. Israel matters. And it is the fig tree that is budding again. And you keep an eye on Israel. And um, thankfully, our nation is taking a more favorable position toward Israel in this year. It is very, very important. Israel matters. And all of this that is taking place underneath all of this is the spiritual warfare that is going on. And we need to realize that everything boils down to spiritual warfare. From my own personal life, from in our marriage, in our family, in our nation, everything boils down to spiritual warfare. And this, this covenant, it's spiritual warfare. Antichrist is just setting them up to take them down, but he doesn't realize fully the aspect that they are the apple of God's eye. And in understanding, in realizing this, Everything boils down to spiritual warfare. We ask this question. Who will we trust? I mean, think of it. Israel comes to a point that they trust Antichrist. They, they do not trust the New Testament. They do not trust Isaiah 53. They do not trust that Jesus Christ is the Messiah but from their own rational belief based on what they think, not based on scriptures, they trust to make a covenant with Antichrist, who appears as though the answer to all the world's problems. But we ask Are we very similar to the Jews? Do we trust our own reason? Do we trust tradition? The Jews are very much into tradition. And this is the sacrifice. This is what has been done. Or do we truly trust what God said? One of the the distinctives... And the first and foremost distinctives of people that have been our forefathers that were given the name Anabaptists because they were rebaptizers, and then it was shortened to the name Baptist, is this number one distinctive. The Bible is our only rule for authority and practice. That is easy to say. But then for us to ask, is the Bible my authority for how I govern my thoughts, how I run my finances, how I behave in the home? Is it 
the authority for my work ethic? Is it the authority for all my ethics? Is it the authority that, okay, if that's what God said, then that's what I need to do? If it is, we'll have a desire to know the Word, and the only way we can know it is read it and study it and listen to it and hear truth about it. And not only will we do that, but then we will obey it. When the Spirit of God teaches us through the Word of God, it is important that we obey it, not argue with it, not rationalize it, not excuse it, that we will obey the Word of God. Does the Word of God ask us to do some difficult things? It may. Nevertheless, at your word, Peter said, when Jesus said, go cast your nets, Peter said, we've fished all night and we haven't caught anything and you're telling us now to cast our nets. And then Peter realized who he's talking to and he said, nevertheless, at your word, we will do it. There's times we read or the Spirit of God convicts us and we think, well, that can't be right. That can't. And we need to arrest our mind and say, wait, nevertheless, whatever your word says, that's what I'll do. And we have many, many problems in our nation today that go right back to us not being committed to the ways of the Lord. As believers... So it's read it, know it, obey it, defend it. Are we able to give a reason for the hope that is within us? The Jews didn't trust the word. And so they were led astray, led to a covenant with the Antichrist. And then the bottom line, which we'll never be able to answer until were approached with this, if we really trust the Word, are we willing to die for it? God's not asking any of us right here tonight to die for it. He might be asking us something harder. He's asking us to live for it. But there are people around the world tonight that said, I trust the Word enough that, yes, I am a follower of Christ, and if that means I am on the wanted list, take the world, but give me Jesus. Who can cheer the heart like Jesus? No one else. All that matters, all that matters when it comes down to it is our relationship with Jesus Christ. What are we doing to build that? See, we are so privileged that we've been exposed to the Word of God, that we have um, 
have access to the Word of God, um, the teaching of the Word of God. Now, what do we really trust it? I don't know, but I, I know in every one of our lives, I don't know the specific thing God's asking you to trust Him in. But He's asking every one of us to trust Him in something. He's asking every one of us to trust Him in something. The next step. The next act of obedience. And we hesitate and we kind of balk at it. I, I, going back to the analogy of this morning, I don't know that much about horses, but you don't want a balky horse, right? God doesn't want balky Christians. And you know what? He'll dig some spurs into our side at times and we'll whine and complain and why is life so rough? Cause and effect. God's trying to bring brokenness in our lives because a broken and a contrite heart God will not despise. But it comes down, will we trust the Word of God? Are we trusting the Word of God? And as we come to realize There is nothing else to trust. What are you going to trust? Your reason? We saw already what that leads to. You're going to trust another human being? Lots of luck. You're going to trust your experience? There's nothing. So why do we hinder dropping our seed into the ground and letting it be covered and dying to self? Why do we resist that? Because we don't trust the Word. Heavenly Father, I pray for the ministry of your Spirit to show every one of us where we are not trusting your Word. And Lord, I pray that we would take steps of action that would... Evidence, a faith, a trust in you and your word. Lord, I pray that our steps of obedience would be an instrument in your hand that you could use in the lives of others. Lord, may tonight and forward we be individuals that walk by faith and not by sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Jason if he'll come.